the Audio Buffet. I'm Chris. And I'm Jeremy. It's time for some beer education. Hooray! What do we have today, my friend? We have Finest Kind IPA from Smutty Nose Brewing Company. So I got this one from the store because I've always seen these bottles with the fine elderly gentleman on the front. And I was like, I've always wanted to try this beer. So I finally just went ahead and picked it up. It's one of those ones where it's like, wow, they did a really good job marketing because I'm drawn to that. Mm-hmm. Definitely bought this for the for the label. Yes, I- I'm usually buying things for the label or the name. Let me describe this label for our listeners. We can't assume they've seen this label before. Yeah, and it's that is part of the experience as well. It's not just a, a brown glass bottle. There's also a label that <laughs> encompasses usually brown glass. <laughs> yeah, usually. <laughs> now on this one, it is a uh, looks. This looks like a front yard of maybe a trailer. Yeah, it's a trailer. It's definitely a trailer because it's got the uh, corrugated tin on the bottom there to keep the cats out from underneath the trailer <laughs> yeah to hide the wheels uh in the background there's a, a wagon wheel propped up against the trailer and there's a garden gnome just chilling there and a beer bottle there is an empty be- there's a few empty beer bottles and there. the are gentlemen in like aluminum lawn chairs yep they're old dudes they're both wearing uh plaid flannel shirts actually that guy is wearing, wearing two shirts i just noticed that too <laughs> he's wearing two flannel shirts he sure is he's really cold both of these guys are wearing boots and they look like awesome checkers players. So, so just imagine all that. Yep. So neat labeling. Good job, uh, Smutty Nose Brewing Company. Yeah. And it says finest kind IPA right on top. Mm-hmm. So that's the bottle. It's that label on a brown bottle. Now, what's inside the bottle? That's what counts. Yeah. <laughs> it's, not a, it's not the outside that counts. <laughs> it's what's on the inside. <laughs> Remember that, kids. Okay, so shall we last this beer? Yes, we should. And last is the acronym that we use in order to taste and experience a beer. That's right. So L stands for? Look. So looking at this beer, uh, I'll start at the top with the head retention. At first, it wasn't great. The uh, The initial pour didn't really leave a whole lot of head, but now that it's sat for a little bit, it seems to have gotten frothier somehow. But it looks quite nice. The color of this beer, the Smutty Nose website calls golden. As far as the SRM. Standard reference method. I don't know. What would you say this is on the SRM scale? I would say this is between 14 and 16 on the SRM scale. Yeah. I can't really exactly get it down, but it's it's not really light and it's not really dark. Yeah. It's a really pretty color. Yeah. It is indeed golden. Mm-hmm. Well described, Smutty Nose. And next in our acronym of last is A, and that would be... Agitate. After we've agitated, we're going to go ahead and do the next step, which is the S in last, and that is smell. It smells so good. Oh my gosh. That is delightful. What aromas are you getting out of there? Heaven and love. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Wait a minute. Let me... Yep, I smell the same thing. Smells good. I can't. I don't know exactly what I'm smelling. Because it's an IPA, there's a really 
forward smell of the hops. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to get that with pretty much any IPA. But with this one, it's not a biting smell. It's a really smooth, mellow mm-hmm. smell of those hops. It's really quite nice to smell. My one nostril says it smells good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And we'll go ahead and move into the last step of last, which is the tea. And that is taste. Yep. Tastes like heaven and love. That is quite delicious. That is quite delicious. This is when you finish, you sip on it. You don't you don't guzzle this one. No. You sip on it and enjoy the aromas and the taste of this beer because it's it's pretty unique. Yeah, that's exactly it. You just have to enjoy it. You have to experience it. But what kind of flavor characteristics are you picking up here? I just really taste a lot of hops. Yeah, there's something kind of behind the hops that I'm trying to pick up on. When I taste it, I have this, this sense that there's something red just kind of hiding behind the hops. <laughs> it tastes like red or it looks like red? It tastes like. I don't know what it is, man, but... I don't know either. <laughs> when I drink this, it has the pleasant bitterness of an IPA, but it's somehow still smooth like honey at the same time. Mm-hmm. And that's probably what it is. It's that mouthfeel. Yeah. It just feels silky. It is really smooth. It's very nice. It's a very silky IPA. The taste is bitter, but going down is really smooth. Yeah. It's really, really well done. I like it. Where is Smutty Nose located? It is located in New Hampshire. Oh. Hampton, New Hampshire, exactly. In the United States. So, what is the ABV for this one? Alcohol by volume. The ABV on this one is actually 6.9%. That's pretty high. It is pretty high, but it's also an IPA. That's true. And they tend to run higher in ABV anyway. Now that we do have a slight contradiction in one of the other measurements of this thing. And that is the IBU. International Bitterness Units. On the Smutty Nose website, what do they list the IBU as? 73.5. Okay, so Mm 73.5. Beer Advocate the app as well as beeradvocate.com and you can also follow us and see our reviews of beers that we've tried most of them anyway by searching for the audio buffet mm-hmm. on beer advocate they list this as 75 on the ibu scale I, i'll probably just go with money nose on this one probably they, they got their abv on the bottle and the website right mm-hmm. so i'll just i'll go with them on that one yeah what do your taste buds tell you about the ibus oh. Granted, it's only a 1.5 unit difference, so maybe we won't be able to pick them up. I'll go with 74. <laughs> Chicken. I'm going to go with 74.2. This has been Beer Education with Chris and Jeremy. Tune in next time for another riveting lesson. And now, on with the show. All right, Jeremy, let's start this off by putting our best foot forward. Yeah. So, how do we do that? Stick your foot out. Okay, which one though? The best one. Which one's the best one? The right. Are you sure? Maybe the left. What if What if I were left-handed? Would my left foot be my best foot? It might be. Depends on how you kick a ball. It's kind of a weird phrase if you think about it. Because best is the superlative mm-hmm. of good. You have good, better, and best, right? Mm-hmm. So best would imply that I have three or more feet? Well, I mean, you'd have the, you could have the two, but one's better than the other one. <laughs> <laughs> so wouldn't it be... Well, actually, Shakespeare, he actually says to put the better foot forward. Oh. Um, so Shakespeare could count his feet. One, two. So I 
guess that that is a really awkward way to start because we don't know which foot is better. Yes. I don't know either. Let's just jump in with both feet. Yes. How about that They're one? both good feets. We'll just, <laughs> hey man, in for a penny, in for a pound, as they say, right? Yes. So here we I, are. As they say. I don't say it. They do, though. They do. Yeah. Well, they say lots of stuff. They do. And there are also a bunch of other things that people say that I'm always like, where did that come from? Yeah. That's a stupid saying. How did that become a thing? Yeah. Sometimes it kind of makes sense. You're like, well, okay, don't cry over spilled milk. It's because it's already done. Why would you cry about it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Can't put it back in the jug. Exactly. Not going to fix the problem if you're just, you know, whining, whining about it. Exactly. Cliches. The first cliche that I thought was interesting because it also sounds delicious is <laughs> bringing home the bacon. I love bacon. Me too. It's quite delicious. Now, bringing home the bacon has an interesting origin. So, back in the old times when people would have meats, you really couldn't afford a lot of things like steaks. So, bacon was a great meat because it could be stored for a very long time. That's true. You cure it and you just leave a side of bacon hanging all salted and tempting and delicious looking. Keep it out of dog's reach, though. Oh, definitely. Keep it out of my reach. <laughs> but bacon was a, a staple meat because it was something that common people or the common folk could afford and have. So essentially bringing home the bacon was a great way that you could bring home meat uh, to your family so that you guys could eat because you couldn't eat any other meats. And people like eating. Isn't it interesting that you know some of the most delicious foods like bacon and chicken wings really kind of gained traction as... Kind of just the cheapest stuff available. Yeah, that and that's what's funny. I think about like uh, shrimp and lobster and crabs and all that stuff. They're kind of mm -hmm. the bottom feeders, but it's so weird how food that was meant for poor people or anything like that became like an expensive food later on as yeah. years have gone and passed by. It's true. Not all of it. I mean, like, uh, I don't think they serve crayfish in uh, fancy New York. <laughs> yeah. You go to Louisiana. You get a big old pile of those little red guys on a piece of newspaper. Mm, I wish I could eat them, but I'm allergic. Are you? Yep. Can't mm. eat shellfish. That sucks. I puff up. <laughs> then I can't breathe. <laughs> <laughs> That's a problem. Yeah. We don't want that. Nope. Well, just so you know, if you ever did accidentally eat some shellfish, I got your back, man. Thanks. I'm a friend in need. Oh. Oh. Transition. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the next one we want to talk about is a friend in need is a friend indeed. Now, this one's had a fair amount of controversy, mostly because people can't agree on the origin. Oh. Which makes it that much more interesting uh, for us to talk about. Why do you think there's confusion about this saying? A friend in need is a friend indeed. I think it's confusing because when you say a friend in need is a friend indeed, the, the deed part of it sounds like if the friend needs something, mm -hmm. you can give it to them, but the collateral would be their deed Ooh. until they, I guess, paid back whatever they got from you, whether it's three goats or five shekels or whatever it could be. That's uh, it's kind of dark. I know. That's what I, that's what I've always thought of when yeah. I when I've heard that saying. I'm like, what a friend indeed, and you want to take his deed away? Yeah, so sad. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's one option. Mm -hmm. um, what are the other options? Let's say I'm the friend. Mm -hmm. uh, let's say I'm in need. 
Right. If you're a friend to me when I'm in need, then indeed, all one word. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Indeed, then you are a true friend. It's basically the, the proof of friendship is if I'm in need and you help me out, then wow, you are you really have my back there. Kind of like if you puffed up from eating shellfish accidentally. Oh, yeah. Then, you know, I you know, shout through the restaurant and see if anybody had an EpiPen or something. <laughs> now, another possible explanation for this phrase would be a friend, again, if I'm in need mm-hmm. and you help me out by an action, you're being a friend indeed in action. Oh, okay. So actions, deeds, same difference. Mm-hmm. So you're a friend by acting on that instead of be like, hey, man, let me know if you need anything. Gotcha. So you can kind of reverse it. Right. Reverse the saying. I got you. Right. Another one. Now, yet another one would be, let's say you're in need, but -hmm. you're still showing friendship to me. You're still, you know, hanging out with me and stuff, even though you're going through tough times, whatever like that. You're not distracted by your hardship. You're still Mm -hmm. a good friend to me. Then that would be another way of identifying true friendship, I guess. Hmm. Okay. The reason I think there's so much confusion about this saying is because the origin is actually in a Latin phrase. The earliest recorded example of this phrase was written in the third century BC. So it's a really, really old phrase. super old. Uh, Written by Quintus Ennius. He said, Amicus certus in re inserta cernitur. I apologize to any Latin scholars out there. I probably completely (laughs) butchered that pronunciation. But, you know, I wasn't a Latin scholar, so... I can, however, pronounce the English translation of that, uh, which directly translates to, a sure friend is known when in difficulty. Wow, they could have said that so much shorter. Everybody likes rhyming phrases and Mm -hmm. stuff, right? There is a 16th century work that was written by John Haywood back in 1562. Uh, It's called A Dialogue Containing Proverbs and Epigrams. Mm -hmm. In it, he says... Prove that is test thy friend, ere or before, thou have need. But indeed, a friend is never known till a man have need. Before I had need, my most present foes seemed my most friends. But thus the world goes. Ooh, that rhymed. It did rhyme. See, I, I like told you one. people like rhymes. And they do like rhymes. It probably just helps people remember it. And if you're talking about morality and like how to decide who's a good friend and who's just kind of using you then it's probably something good to remember that, hey, this guy helped me out when I was in a tough spot. Mm-hmm. So he's a, he's a real friend. Yeah, that's good. I like uh, I actually like the way that version sounds. That's pretty neat. But I can't remember it. Friend in need is a friend indeed. Oh, yeah. Shortened. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> and it rhymes, so yeah. it's easy to remember. I do remember that. Sweet. A friend in need is a friend indeed. See, you got it. Oh, man. By George, he's got it. Another neat cliche that I've, uh, I have heard this said before, but I never really thought about where it was from, and that is bite the bullet, and that means to do something difficult or something, you know, kind of hard, or to decide to do something difficult. Uh, so the origin of this one is kind of, uh, kind of grim a little bit, uh, and this was before anesthetics were around, oh, uh, the wounded soldiers, they would be given a bullet to bite on if they had to be operated on or have to have like an arm or a leg amputated mm. so they wouldn't scream in pain and freak out all the rest of the people around. Exactly. Yeesh. That seems like a really bad idea. <laughs> like, why would you bite on a bullet? It's kind of small and you could either 
choke on it or <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know, best case scenario you're gonna break a tooth the second origin is when the days of uh, paper cartridges were around like during the revolutionary war when you'd have to bite the bullet before you put your gunpowder in and then you'd put your bullet inside of the barrel and then you would ram your gunpowder and the bullet down in there and that was also another origin of biting the bullet when you're loading your gun, which would leave a salty, nasty taste of gunpowder in your mouth. Didn't they make the shot out of lead, too? Yeah, probably so. That's probably dangerous. Is people going to get lead poisoning. And... Mm-hmm. Yeesh. Again, doesn't sound like a great idea. <laughs> yep. So, raining cats and dogs, it's raining really, really hard, is this cliche phrase, wherever the heck it came from, to mean a torrential downpour. Now, one possible origin is in 17th century England, so the 1600s, there was not great sewage and drainage systems. Oh, boy. And anytime it would flood from a torrential rain, it would kick up all sorts of debris during a heavy downpour. Now, this included dead animals. Ew. (laughs) Yeah, ew. Especially in, like, poorer areas. Yeah, Um, they probably didn't have people that drove around in trucks like we do that go around and pick up the dead animals on the side of the road shovel a dead raccoon off the side of the road yeah yeah so when it would rain really really hard these dead cats and dogs would get kicked up and you ever see like a manhole in the middle of the road and it's kind of like has Mm -hmm. little water spouts coming out of it it's raining really hard it's because it's not draining fast enough and a similar thing would happen you know back in the 17th century England, it's raining really hard. Only thing is you've got dead animals in there too. So they would get kicked out and that could, and seeing, you know, dead cats and dogs floating down in the gutters would give you the impression that it rained cats and dogs. It rained cats and dogs. Ew. Yeah. Pretty gross. Gross. Another option, hopefully a little less gross (laughs) is in ancient Northern Europe. There was a lot of mythological imagery and uh, expressions associated with cats and dogs. Uh, They are associating cats and dogs with the weather and storms and rain. And so if you had a cat, we talked last time about cats being associated with witches. Mm -hmm. Um, So cats would symbolize rain in this ancient Northern European Hmm. mythology. And dogs were connected with the wind. So if it's, really super rainy and windy and windy then it's cats and dogs. it stands to that reasoning anyway that it's been raining because of the cats and dogs so it's either because of or it's literally raining cats and dogs i used to live with four of the guys in this house and our side porch had a tin roof mm-hmm. you ever you ever been in a building that has a tin roof yes while it's really raining it is loud it's really loud and it kind of sounds like there's, you know, a cat fight up on top of the roof. And they're scratching and clawing and that makes sense, jumping around and stuff. And it kind of sounds like it's raining cats and dogs. Nice. I got one more though. How many? <laughs> Actually, I got two more. <laughs> <laughs> the last one that I'm going to list for this one though is in the 16th century England, so a little bit older than before with the gross sewage and stuff like that. When people lived in when people lived in houses that had a thatched roof, the dogs and cats would typically have their sleeping place 
up in the eaves. There would typically be, you know, a nice loft up there. Oh, yeah. And it would stay nice and warm. And mm-hmm. so, of course, that's where the pets are going to go because they don't have to work. So they're going <laughs> to find the most comfortable spot and they're going to hang out there. And they're going to lay down. But the problem with thatched roofs are they're not always watertight. You know, they do wear out. Uh, the thatch will dry out after a while and mm-hmm. it'll it'll shrink up. So you're going to get leaks. And if you have a leak in your thatched roof and there's a dog or a cat in the eaves of this thing and it starts raining really hard, they're going to be the first ones to get wet. And they're going to go down. They're going to jump the heck down. <laughs> I don't know about your experience with cats and water, but uh, mine tells me. I know me, they pretty much don't like it. Yeah, they're, they're not fans. Yeah, they don't, they're, not a, they're not fond of uh, H2O. Yeah. I don't think anybody's really a fan so much of getting doused by surprise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that's pretty much startle anybody enough to jump out of some rafters. Unless you're a football coach winning the championship. Well, it's less unexpected. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> Probably saw that one coming. <laughs> like, oh, we won. I better brace. This is yeah. going to be cold. <laughs> going to have some sticky Gatorade. Mm-hmm. Here comes the yellow Gatorade. Find that in my shoe later. <laughs> What else do we have, Jeremy? One of my favorite sayings is mad as a hatter Ooh. or a crazy person. Now, this cliche derives from the Victorian times when hat makers, they would develop weird, crazy illnesses in their brain because when they would make the hats, they would use mercury and that would in turn make you crazy. Oh, so, man. And Matt as a Hatter became... They used the mercury to like cure the felt or something, right? When they were sizing yes. it? Yeah. Yeah. You really don't want to be around mercury more than you absolutely have to be. I would say so. Bad stuff. There's also another origin uh, that I saw there. It's a, There was a Hatter. His name was Roger Crabbe. Uh, he was in 17th century England, and he was an eccentric hat maker, and he gave away all of his possessions and converted to extreme vegetarianism. He lived every week just by eating grass and roots. Jeez. Thus, probably he went crazy by just eating grass and roots. He should have brought home the bacon instead of the, <laughs> the yard clippings. <laughs> right. <laughs> Bringing home the wrong thing. Well, you brought home the fescue. I will say that this cliche predates uh, Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland. So he didn't originate it. He just used right. the cliche to create a character. So, yep, it was before Alice in Wonderland. Cool. That is a great character. Yes, the Mad Hatter is one of my favorite literary characters. Yeah. Well, being around that much Mercury sounds just absolutely preposterous, which is a really interesting word because preposterous is pre-post. Pre-post? Whoa. How are you going to put those two things together? Exactly. Why would you put something that's supposed to come after first? That's what preposterous means. It means you're doing things backwards. You're doing something wrong. You're effectively putting the cart before the horse, which is our next cliche. What are the origins of this cliche? As far as I've been able to find, the oldest use of this was from a work by Cicero who lived about 100 years BC. And what Cicero said in his work called On Friendship, he says, we put the cart before the horse and shut the stable door when the steed is stolen in defiance of the old proverb. So in other words, I was going to say, I'm really confused about that right now. (laughs) 
we put the cart before the horse, which means that it makes absolutely no sense because the cart's not going to pull the horse because the cart isn't self-ambulatory. Mm-hmm. The, the horse is kind of there to pull the cart. That's the whole purpose right. of having the horse hitched up to this bloody thing. He's not going to push it because that's not how horses do. Right. And if the horse is already stolen, there's no point in shutting the door because he's already gone. It's gone. What are you keeping gotcha. in? You're just keeping the hay warm for when he gets back? Or yes. Makes no sense. It's preposterous. You're doing the wrong thing first. So that is what putting the cart before the horse means and where it came from. Nice. Yeah. A lot of these have really old origins. Yeah, they go way back in like the 17th century. Like that one went back before yeah. time changed. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that was neat. And that one didn't have multiple origins? Well, it has other times that it's kind of popped up, but that's just the oldest time that it's been put out there. And okay, it's basically gotcha. just a follow-up on shutting the stable door once the steed is stolen. Okay. So, it's expounding on a on another idea on a previous probably cliche (laughs) yeah it's just like hey you're you're dumb you're just doing things out of order and it's preposterous i like that though i never thought about the word preposterous dude i love etymology and actually if you want to subscribe to a really good podcast about the origin and meanings of words and phrases and things like that there's one that i've been listening to a lot lately it's called the illusionist that's with an a not an i because she doesn't do magic tricks Mm -hmm. um sometimes there is profanity in these but she's incredibly smart and she loves words um so if you're okay filtering which episodes you listen to or whatever I can actually highly recommend that podcast. Neat. No, it just kind of teaches you the loom of language. Yes. Ooh. Because it's a tapestry. Mm-hmm. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. But if you also have any other suggestions for a show, or you want us to just talk about something, please go to theaudiobuffet.com. Go to the talkback link, do a couple of clickety-clacks, and then you'll be on your way to sending us a nice little message. Yeah. And if you don't want to do it through the website, you can always email us. We are at theaudiobuffet at gmail.com. Also, if you want to hear more of our podcasts, go to iTunes and search theaudiobuffet.com. Hit subscribe, give us a five-star rating, and hey, why don't you just give us a review while you're there? It really doesn't take that long, and it helps us out quite a lot. Mm -hmm. Before we go, Jeremy, we have some listener comments that we should probably get to about our last episode. Oh, we do. Yay. Listener comment time. (laughs) I like it. (laughs) I made it up. (laughs) I wish you could do it again because I kind of (laughs) chuckled. This comment was about our last episode. We talked about the superstitions. Uh Uh-huh. And I actually got some pretty impassioned feedback on this, uh, saying that we completely missed an entire genre of superstitions, Mm -hmm. and that's the sports world. You know, that does make so much sense because they have, especially like football Mm -hmm. and things like with different socks that people would want to wear, like individuals, they have all kinds of superstitions that are like, this will help me catch the ball or whatever it could be. Or guys growing a playoff beard. Yeah, that's true. Like, I'm not going to shave till after the playoffs are over. And mm-hmm. They think it's going to help their team win if they look like they're homeless. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to win. Your only fans are homeless guys. No, they, they can hit the ball harder. Sure they will, because you haven't <laughs> washed your socks in three and a half months. <laughs> yeah. That's nasty, man. That's gross. Going to knock the players out with a stench coming from your feet. <laughs> 
No, yeah. that is very true. Uh, and thank you, listener, for uh, expounding upon that because I didn't even think about the the sports world and superstitions. It's true, and a lot of those are you know it's luck by association. Mm-hmm. You know these are these are my lucky game socks yeah. because we won when I wore them, so I'm never gonna wash them. I don't want to wash mm-hmm. the luck out. Yeah, but there are other ones that kind of have slightly more meaningful and kind of symbolic representations originally anyway Mm -hmm. Uh, and what this particular listener brought up was uh, she was a soccer player and when she was playing with her college team she didn't know that it was a superstition or a tradition or whatever the heck you want to call it when the team is walking out of the locker room onto the pitch they don't split the post oh basically they there's a pillar i guess in the tunnel and you don't walk on both sides of it. Mm-hmm. The whole team has to side. walk on one side of it. Mm. And when I was talking to this listener, uh, I was kind of thinking, well, that makes sense. They want to have this unity and they want to make sure that they're acting as one, right? whatever. And if they split the post, then they walk onto the field and they've already been divided. Yeah. But apparently some of the, uh, some of the other girls on the team were really, really, upset should anyone ever walk on the other side of the post really and that's kind of luck by self-enforcement yeah (laughs) because if you're distracted because something happened or didn't happen before the game then you're probably gonna kind of be psyched out a little yeah you'll be really distracted by the fact that someone walked on the other side of the pole yeah i guess we can classify that kind of as luck by ritual yeah or rituals yeah there's so, so much more. We could do an entire episode on just sports superstitions. We might have to do superstitions again once there's a Friday the 13th coming up. <laughs> yeah, maybe we, maybe we will. Maybe we will. Thank you, listener, for your feedback. Absolutely. That's wonderful. Keep that feedback coming. You can either talk to us through the website or through the email. We already gave you that stuff. If you didn't catch it, just hit the back 30 seconds button a couple times. And <laughs> yeah. find it again. Until then, we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. Looking down in the mouth, mind in the gutter, half-hearted, waist deep in the big muddy, tearing out her hair, it's getting out of hand. Time to fix the music, let's strike up the band. Gotta hand it to you with your head in the clouds. You keep your mouth shut, no ifs, ands, or buts. Velvet.
between the cracks and the twinkle of an eye. You can't go back, there's a million reasons why. Gone cold turkey, he's a cornered rat. If you're eating crow, you get tired of that. The heart of the matter is wearing thin. It's a free for all from here on in. It's music to my ears, though I'm singing the blues.